great football team with a lot of moral fiber and a lot of character, and they showed it. Shout, a Buffalo football podcast, hosted by Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot. No place else you'd rather be than right here, right now. When it's too tough for them, it's just right. Presented by Syracuse.com and NYUP.com. The Bills make me wanna... What's up, everybody? Sorry, a few minutes behind. We've been all through draft week, Ryan. We were right on time every single episode. <laughs> First show the next week, and here we are three or four minutes late. But we got a fun show devised for you guys today. Um, we This is the Shout Buffalo Football Podcast. Uh, he's Ryan Talbot. I am Matt Perino. And Ryan Talbot, we now can officially call ourselves an award-winning podcast, which is super cool. Yeah, really exciting news. I think uh, we were both kind of surprised with, with the email. It came out of nowhere uh, to, to hear that we had won that award. So, you know, it's always nice to, to be recognized. And Bill's Mafia, thank you for your support throughout this journey as well. Uh, your interactions motivate us to make the show better and better each week. That's a great point because, like, sure, for me and you, it's super cool to have all the work we've kind of poured into this show be recognized. Uh, the New York Press Association uh, put out its uh, best newspaper contest winners and shot one uh, the best podcast, which is great, right? But for me, more than anything, it says a lot about the support that we've received, not only from the fan base, which has been, we've talked about it over and over, Ryan. I mean, we couldn't be doing this for a better fan base, but also our company that has really invested in this um, project from the start. We had a vision for it. They've, they've done whatever they could to kind of support us through that entire process. And then tops, which by the way, don't you worry that they're going to be back. We, we, we've um, we have this kind of weird in between the seasons type of thing. Uh, but uh, uh, tops is going to be back on board uh, before you know it. And who knows, maybe some, uh, some more uh, sponsorship opportunities that'll give us all types of different ways to get some transitions into the show. So there you have it. I, I want to bring that news. If you hadn't heard about it yet, super exciting. And thank you to all of you guys for continuing to watch and, and support. All right. So let's start off with, this draft class now, before we get into the winners and losers on the Bills roster, which I think is an important conversation to have because the roster looked a certain way. You go into the draft and you figure, okay, you, they have to do X, X, and X to kind of fulfill what you know you think the Bills need to go into the season. They do that, but because they added players, that that means that it's going to change things for, for guys that were on, already on the roster. But... 30,000 foot view. You're looking at the draft class now, a couple days removed from it. What's your biggest takeaway? Biggest takeaway is uh, it feels like uh, value and, and need kind of collided head on when it came to the Bills and their draft class. They needed a cornerback. They were able to move up two spots and get the, the player, the last player with a first round grade. Uh, they needed a pass catching back after J.D. McKissick backed out on them in, in free agency and James Cook falls into their lap. Uh, there's been a lot of punter talk, believe it or not, in Buffalo. They get uh, the punt god. And, and then they get the best value of all in the fifth round when they trade up 20 picks, at least in my opinion, to get Khalil Shakir, uh, a wide receiver that I think could be successful here sooner rather than later. So uh, it addressed needs. They didn't uh, reach, at least not significantly anywhere, in my opinion. So it just was a solid draft class for a team that is on a cusp of a, a Super Bowl title. 
What's interesting to me is just kind of looking around at all the reaction. It was pretty much universally. I mean, there were some few people that, you know, said uh, that have questions about whether it be James Cook or um, Terrell Bernard in the third round. I think that was probably the biggest question mark for most evaluators. I think it was Mel Kuyper that put out that he had he thought that the Bills reached a bit on that pick. But what I think has been pretty universal universally said about this draft class is that it was done by Brandon Bean, who has kind of earned the benefit of the doubt on all the kind of questionable picks, if, if you even call them that. And I think the Bernard pick to me is one that if it was made and you're just talking about his potential, that's, that's one thing, but I think it was made, there's potential there. He can do multiple things. And I think there's a real vision and path for him over the course of his rookie contract that makes it even more of a need that I think we're even talking about in the right now, right? Because, you know, Matt Milano is getting a little bit older. Uh, he's on his second contract right now. Injuries are always a concern, especially the, with the way that he plays. I mean, maybe we don't talk about that enough. Matt Milano, an undersized outside linebacker, he does everything. He blitzes, he, he battles offensive linemen, he uh, plays against tight ends, he's always flying around, he's always hitting, he's always kind of in the mix with those big bodies, the line of scrimmage. So, you know, that takes a toll on you after a while. And so it's something that um, I, I think that the, the draft class overall, I think it's impressive for Brandon Bean to have gotten the haul that he did because there were questions about it. If, if you don't get that cornerback where they got him, you never know how the draft could play out. They could get a, get into day three and not even still see a, an area to go after a guy that they really like. And so I think just that need in and of itself, the immediacy of 2022, that's what really kind of ratcheted up what I would grade this overall class. Yeah, no, that's well said. And, and and the what ifs are always interesting. And in the case of the Bills, they didn't have to worry about what if they were able to get their guy. But uh, how did how would that have changed their board if if Elam had gone? Would they have traded down uh, to try to get a different position? Would Kyler Gordon have been uh, on their radar or a different cornerback altogether? Uh, luckily, the Bills were in a spot where despite picking, you know, late in, in the draft, 25th overall originally, they were still able to get their guys just with a small move up. So starting with a small move up in round one. Biggest winners from the draft. Let's start there and, and on the roster itself. And I'm going to start with Tremaine Edmonds for me, because I think there was a lot of questions, like especially with where the Bills were picking. Had this draft gone a little bit differently and the cornerbacks were off the board, like you mentioned, it would have been really interesting to see which direction they went with that pick at 23 at 25 because there were some middle linebackers that I think would be interesting at that spot and if not at that spot maybe on day two but what we we do know is we come out of this draft and the bills do not address the the, the middle linebacker position uh Terrell Bernard is not going to be playing Mike linebacker for the Buffalo Bills so that is you know telling me that this this team still believes in Tremaine Edmonds there is no backup plan now Going into last, la, the last year of his deal, he could have a big year. They could decide not to bring him back. Not to bring him back after that, they can decide to franchise tag him after that. There's there's plenty of options still with the player, but I think the fact that they didn't go out and draft a, a guy that can maybe be the the replacement plan tells me a lot about what they still view Tremaine Edmonds as in this defense. And Ryan, I I put it out there the other day. I I had a bit of a, my first bold prediction of the offseason, and I said. I think Tremaine Edmonds is is about to be an all pro, first team all pro this year. Yeah. I, that's how good of a season I think he's going to be going to have. Now, there were obviously some 
concerned Bills fans in my in my mentions <laughs> after I put that out. Uh, but I will say over 2,000 likes on the tweet and less than 150 replies, and not all the replies were negative. I think people are kind of coming around on the idea that this Bills defensive line is a scary, scary group of players. I mean, they go nine deep at this point. They're going to be featuring Shaq Lawson and Jordan Phillips at seven and eight in the rotation. Those were their top two guys two years ago. So I think with all of the added bulk, especially on the interior, listen, Tremaine Emmons, maybe it'll never come full circle. Maybe he'll never be this instinctive, uh, hitting the right gaps on every single play type of linebacker. But if you have more disruption in front of you, that clears the path a little bit. It's going to be harder for offensive linemen to get on him to make him shut a block because of the work that I think this defensive line is going to do in front of him. Yeah, no, I love that. And, and listen, I'm not sure I agree with the all pro comment, but that's okay. <laughs> I I do agree with you that this defensive line is going to be a lot better. They're going to clean things up in front of Edmonds, make his life a lot easier so he can kind of come in and, and cause destruction of his own. Uh, Jones, Tim Settle, you know, they really upgraded the middle part of that defensive line, obviously off uh, off the edge with Von Miller as well. But it's that middle part of the defensive line upgrading that. It's going to really help Edmonds out. And, and you're right. The fact that they didn't go with uh, any linebacker options in this draft class, that that would be those Mike or middle linebackers. They went with undersized guys, uh, guys that were very similar to Milano in the height, weight, speed. There's no real threat there for him. Now, uh, I'm in the camp of let him play out this contract, let him play this year, kind of prove it deal. Uh, because even if you try to sign him now, it's going to cost a lot of money. Will will it cost more if he has an all-pro season like you're predicting? Absolutely. Uh, mm-hmm. But I would rather pay him after I've seen it, after I know that he can, he's capable of doing that. And if, if you feel like he really hasn't grown enough at the end of this year, then that's the time that you can probably part ways with him or you can franchise him and, and bring someone in uh, via the draft that can eventually take over for him in this role. I'm going to transition to one of my biggest winners here, Matt. I'm going to go with the young defensive ends on this roster. Obviously, they brought in Von Miller to kind of uh, guide this group to to be that difference maker. Uh, but we were talking leading up to the draft about how the Bills uh, were maybe a, a player away from A.J. Epineza being, maybe being on the outside looking in. He was one of those players that were in those hypothetical trades to move up in and things of that nature. He, you know, He's going to be able to come in here now after the Bills really didn't uh, go out of their way to further that position and, and be able to compete. Obviously you have Greg Rousseau last year's first round pick Boogie Basham getting, uh, having an opportunity to get more playing time this year. I know he was inactive a lot last year, but I thought he, he had his moments where he flashed when he was active, when he was on the field, he made some really nice plays. So I, I thought the young pass rushers that are currently on this team were, mm-hmm. were kind of big winners after uh, this year's draft. I'm 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 big time on the boogie train. Like I I think that Basham is one going to be one of my players to watch in training camp. And when I when I'm starting to put together and formulate that article in my head that I put out before camp every year, guys that I'm watching that I'm I'm taking an extra bit of attention and interest in, Basham is the guy for me because I thought on the stretch I think we kind of glossed over a little bit mm. some of the some of the strides that he did make and now the potential for those strides over the course of eight months in a, in a true offseason where he gets the full offseason like listen we learn usually around this time when when minicamp starts and and so on and so forth the guys that have been kind of hanging around the building you know AJ Epinesa was that last year for the Bills he was he was in the building all offseason now it didn't necessarily translate much over the for sustained success for the season for Epinesa, but he did have that one big game, which I think 
listen, if, there, if there's anything that you could have to happen, you know, to build off of, that was the kind of game that you want to see. So I, I'm not closing the book on Epinesa either, but I think that there is a potential big time role for Basham that, you know, Rousseau is going to be out there. Uh, Mario Addison just signed with the Houston Texans. Uh, Jerry Hughes still on the free agent market. And we interested to see over the next week if some of these other dominoes start to fall. I mean, there's some guys out there, you know, Emmanuel Sanders still hasn't come out with his official decision. We're going to talk about that in a second. Uh, Jerry Hughes is somebody that maybe he's continuing to shop around. Maybe a team didn't get an edge rusher in the draft and they wanted to kind of throw some money at him. But where are you at with that actually before we progress? We're talking about Boogie Bash and we're talking about the, these young pass rushers that the Bills have and they, they added Shaq Lawson into the mix. Is the door kind of closed on Hughes? Or do you think there's a scenario where if the money were to work, Brandon Bean would welcome him back in here and say, hey, it's Shaq versus Jerry for that fifth defensive end spot? Yeah, no, if the money's right, I don't think you're going to close the door on Jerry Hughes. I, I think you'd feel better about your depth having him in here, having him at training camp competing for that role. I think he'd be the odds-on favorite over Shaq Lawson, in fact. Uh, but, it, but it comes down to the money, and it, and it is a little bit surprising that Hughes is still out there. Obviously, I didn't think he was a, a first-wave player in free agency, but I wasn't expecting him to still be available pre-draft. And, and then post-draft, mind you, it hasn't been that long since the draft has been in the books. I thought, okay, maybe a team that uh, missed on, on a pass rusher might call him in now and bring him in, in in the upcoming few days, like what happened with Mario Addison. Still hasn't happened yet. Maybe there, there's more to it than we know. Maybe he's taking his time in terms of, I'm waiting for the right fit to come along. I'm not just going to sign anywhere. That very well could be the case because he knows he's getting closer to uh, the end of his time in the NFL age-wise. So he probably wants to latch on with a team where he has a legitimate chance at a Super Bowl. So maybe patience will pay off in, the, in that regard if that is his game plan. Wait till training camp. Maybe an injury occurs. There are still big names out there on this market, not just Hughes alone. So uh, it might also just be a domino effect as well. Yeah, and maybe I misspoke there. I, I don't necessarily know if it would be Shaq versus Hughes. Maybe it would be because Shaq's in on a really affordable deal for the Bills. I mean, basically the veteran's minimum. So I, I don't see a scenario unless he's, you know, just doesn't look like himself and maybe the injuries have have really played, you know, taken a toll on him where he's not on this roster in some form. Uh, just because I think of what the, you know, the juice factor that they want to bring back into the building. But for Hughes, I mean, I think you can almost maybe sell Hughes on coming in here and saying, hey, come beat out AJ Epinesa. Give us a reason to maybe deal him in the preseason and go with the two young guys, Shaq and Von Miller and yourself. And we're going to have a really dangerous, dynamic five-man rotation. We can keep you super fresh all season long. We're not going to ask you to do the same things you know, that we've done in the last couple of years. And maybe getting a chance, because right now, I think it was Joe Biscaglia who brought up a really great point, is that the most damage that Von Miller did last year for the Rams, and he was good on the right side, but his dominant snaps, most of them came on the left side. Right now, who's projected to be the starting right end if that's where they're going to put Von Miller in this defense? Now, that could be Von Miller. Maybe that's where they they think he can work. But if it's the case where, hey, Jerry Hughes' best days have come on the right side when he's been rushing opposite a, a great elite talent on the left side, think back to Mario Williams. Mm. That could be really, really cool. And I think for the Bills and, and Bills fans, I also think that there's a piece to this that we talked about a little bit at the end of last season. Jerry Hughes, he spent his majority of his career in Buffalo. There's a connection to the city, to the team, to the fan base, to this regime. I mean, he he reveres Sean McDermott, Brandon Bean. There, there's a good relationship there. So I think if they can come up with some type of 
situation. And maybe that's why he hasn't signed elsewhere yet. Cause I think he knows his best chance at a Super Bowl is probably with the Bills. It's just, it's a numbers game. Is it going to work numbers wise? That's going to be a really interesting thing to kind of work out over the next couple of weeks. Yeah, no, that's well said, Matt. Uh, you know, Hughes. Uh, obviously started out with the Colts, but played the majority of his career here. He's been playing here so long that the guy that was traded for him is now a coach in the the league in Kelvin Shepard. So that kind of goes to show you the longevity that Hughes has had in Buffalo uh, since he has joined that team via that trade. My next big winner, Gabriel Davis. Uh, This is a guy I was kind of pounding the table that the Bills were set at receiver, outside receiver going into the draft. I think that, you know, Gabriel Davis, I mentioned it. I almost feel like people have kind of been underwhelmed with this, the season that he they had last year and if, uh, especially the big game. I mean, down the stretch, he was, he was nails. I mean, Emmanuel Sanders was kind of in and out of the lineup uh, last couple weeks of the season. And I thought Gabriel Davis, you know, had a couple big time star making performances. And now with those two guys on the outside and all of the weapons on the interior uh, that now they're going to have at their disposal, three different potential slot receivers, two tight ends, we're going to talk about another tight end that uh, UDFA signing, uh, which, by the way, we didn't get to that in the last show. It was such a long show. We didn't get to the UDFAs. Get comfortable. We'll get there tonight. I, I just think Gabriel Davis, the fact that they didn't prioritize the outside uh, position, an X or a Y, uh, I know that you know Stefan Diggs pretty much uh, takes the X in most situations, but it tells me that they truly do believe in Gabriel Davis and are, are presenting that job to him. And I think he's done enough in the in his first two years to earn that job. Yeah, especially when the last thing that you can think of is that game against the Chiefs where he absolutely shredded that defense. You're right. He he is one of the biggest winners post-draft because if you go back to mock drafts, and yes, they're just mock drafts, but early in the mock draft process, the Bills were linked to guys like Jamison Williams a lot. They were, they were linked to the Chris Olaves a lot in round one. And if you take those types of receivers in round one, you better get them on the field. And that kind of uh, would have pushed Gabriel Davis into a, well, how many, what kind of a role is he going to have? What kind of snap? How is he going to have? You don't have to worry about that now. Khalil Shakir, yes, he can play on the outside. Yes, he can spell those receivers. But his best fit is in the slot. Um, So you don't have to worry about that pick necessarily hurting Gabriel Davis. The Bills are saying, listen, we've seen enough from you over these two years. We know you're a weapon in the red zone, uh, but you've really come on as a route runner. You're really good with Josh Allen in terms of when, when he's trying to keep a play alive, you come back to the ball. He can trust you along the sidelines. There's just so many things that he does well that there's no reason to, to believe that he's not going to keep doing that. And the Bills, you know, they rewarded him uh, by not going with a, an outside wide receiver early in this draft class. Who's your other big winner? Well, I, I'm actually going to agree with you who, who we were kind of talking about here. You know, Ryan Bates, I know, obviously, and, and you can actually throw both of, of the guards in the Roger Saffold as well. Uh, the Bills came into this. They have a one veteran at the position. Then they have Ryan Bates, who they signed to that restricted or they matched the restricted free agent offer. Uh, you could have added another interior lineman into that mix. We were talking leading up to the draft, the Zion Johnsons of this draft class. Uh, obviously like a Tyler Smith who went to the Cowboys, other guys like that. And the Bills really did not uh, feel the need to address that early on. I think that they they know what Bates can do. They know how versatile he is. But in those starts that he had last season, he proved his worth uh, as a blocker. They know what they're getting in Roger Saffold this year. Now, mind you, he's he's had to get out of games at times. He's getting up there in age. Um, they, they might have to have a backup plan in place for him. But I think that they, the, the guards in this uh, on this current roster, the starting guards, were also uh, big winners in this draft class. 
No, I love the Bates uh, call because I thought interior offensive line could go as for, as early as the first round, and the Bills didn't even address it in the draft. I mean, they, I asked Brandon Bean about it. Cody Ford, they have high expectations for him going into his final year. He's it's a it's a prove it year for him in in all ways, not only for what he can do with the Bills, but to other teams that maybe you know after this season, if he's able to get a couple starts or get a couple of uh, you know times where he's thrown into the action, what he puts on tape this year is going to be really important for him. So yeah, I think Rick Bates. Uh, was a big winner. Uh, it, it, and the money that they gave him to me was always kind of starter money, borderline starter money. I know they're not going to come out and hand him the job. They don't do that for, for almost anybody, but you still wonder, you know, Brandon Bean loves adding depth and adding guys. And the earlier they draft a guy on the interior, especially that specific spot, the more pressure it puts on you to get him in the lineup. I think they learned that with Cody Ford trading up for him, putting that kind of expectation on him very early on in his career. Uh, I, I don't think that Brandon Bean wanted to do that again. So even going into the draft, even though we talked about Kenny Green and, and Zion Johnson, the more I got to thinking about it, the more it made sense that if they were going to add anywhere in the interior uh, after UDFAs, uh, if they didn't take one, it'd probably be in free agency. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, I, you know, I'm going to transition here though, man, because I see in the comments uh, someone that said Jonathan said uh, one of the biggest winners in his opinion was Tommy Sweeney, and I'm actually going to disagree with that. Uh, he mm. said, "I'm going to put it up here in the chat now." Sweeney is feeling great right now since they didn't snag a third tight end. They didn't snag a third tight end in the draft. But as soon as the draft was over, the first undrafted free agent signing that they made was Jalen Weidermeyer out of Texas A&M. He was a top 30 visitor for the Bills. Uh, so he was brought into the facility. And let, let me get this out of the way right now. He tested poorly leading up to the 2022 NFL draft. Really poorly. I, his uh, The RAS there, the, the, the score was a 1 out of 10. Not good. Mm. I, will, I will agree with that. Uh, but the production has been there, Matt. Um, as a true freshman at Texas A&M, 32 receptions, four, uh, 447 yards, receiving six touchdowns. As a sophomore, 46 receptions, 506 yards, and six touchdowns. And that was just in 10 games. That was a very good stat line. And then even this year, 12 games as a junior, 40 receptions, 515 yards, four touchdowns. He is one of those sneaky, productive players and I feel like Tommy Sweeney is at that crossroads right now in his career where we haven't seen him take that next step. And yes, uh, COVID took a toll on him at one point. Uh, but I think that the Bills would probably like to upgrade tight end three, especially if they're going to run more uh, two tight end sets when you have Dawson Knox and you have O.J. Howard. You're one injury away from needing a productive pass catcher. Uh, someone that you can kind of have and, and count on in this offense. And, and while uh, Weidermeyer has a lot to prove, I think that uh, Sweeney is not safe by any stretch of the imagination. You know, I'm looking at uh, over his scouting report, um, uh, Weidermeyer, uh, that is. One thing I will point out, Texas A&M Aggie. Uh, so he's going to be a big fan favorite of Von Miller. Uh, he's got that going for him. But one of the things that, stands out to me on the weaknesses sides because you're right he, there is production there he is a uh he's got a big catch radius he's a big he's a big dude the the pass blocking has been something that uh scouts or uh you know draft experts that pointed out as something that he needs to really work on and you know one of the first things uh, in dame brugler's scouting report when he's talking about his weaknesses is he his routes lose steam and become predictable and rounded also 
highly penalized player as well, which is something that I don't think the Bills are going to be very tolerant of. You know, penalize, penalties in this in this offense are, you know, something that they dealt with the last year at times, which I think really frustrated uh, Sean McDermott. So if you're going to see that from an undrafted guy, he's not going to be around here very long. But listen, he's got a chance to, you know, maybe get in to, into their uh, strength and conditioning program, get his body right, get his get come to camp ready to prepare, pr- ready and prepared, and then compete with Tommy uh, Sweeney for that depth spot. I think Quentin Morris is another guy that I mm-hmm. think is really interesting. Interesting, and I I don't necessarily think that they they're done adding at the position. Like it wouldn't surprise me if they went out and got a veteran tight end to bring here. Uh, you know, not a Jacob Hollister, but maybe somebody in that kind of tier to come in here and just add to the competition and make whoever's going to be that third tight end have to earn it. But to me, if you're going to roster Reggie Gilliam, they always love and lean on his versatility and, and ability to play tight end. I wouldn't even be surprised if we get to the end of this whole thing and they just end up going into the season with Knox and Howard if they're healthy and then Gilliam is that kind of hybrid player mm. again like they did last year, which I think then leaves all these guys kind of looking on the outside or looking in, but you end up on the practice squad and, and you're one injury away. I mean, Dawson Knox has missed time over the last two seasons at different spots. So I, I think it's a situation where the competition at depth tight end more than anything, I think... They're all losers in a sense because I think the the competition for at that spot is going to be really heavy uh, behind Howard and Knox. Yeah, no, and a great point on the uh, injury front. You know, OJ Howard has had a, a history of missing some time in his career as well. Uh, so you are just one injury away. So all those players, whether they're on the outside looking in when it's all said and done, they're at least competing maybe for a practice squad spot or to be the first guy called if something were to happen at that position. So great call there. Who, who did you have, Matt, among the, your biggest losers post-draft? Yeah, I wanted to quickly gloss over. Uh, we don't have to talk too much about him, but I thought Jordan Poyer was also another big winner. Mm. The Bills don't address the safety spot at all. I mean, Christian Benson or Benford, he could be somebody that uh, transitioned to safety down the line, but he's a he's a real developmental prospect. I don't I, I don't I don't figure him even into if I was putting out a roster projection, a uh, way too early fifty three man, which. Oh, by the way, I might do over the next couple of weeks. So stay tuned. I wouldn't have Benford on there. I mean, you have to earn it. You have to show me something in, in training camp. Uh, so I think Jordan Poyer right now is probably going to, you know, along with Drew Rosenhaus, pull up a chair at the negotiating table and see if they can't get something done over the course of the next couple of weeks. So it'll be interesting to see. He obviously didn't uh, report uh, for the start of their offseason program. Once we get to like mandatory minicamp, uh, business will pick up a little bit. So we'll, we'll pay attention to that. My biggest loser. So... I could go in a couple different directions here. I have a couple interesting ones, but let me start with one that I think is a little bit off the wall. Jameson Crowder. I know that when I first say that, you're probably sitting there like, what? He just signed a, a free agent contract. Cole Beasley's gone. Obviously, the fact that they went out and got him indicates what they feel about the need there, even with McKenzie already on the roster. But I think Khalil Shakir is going to put a whole new spin on this competition in the wide receiver room. And I think it's going to go everywhere. It's not going to just go for Crowder and McKenzie. I think Kumro is going to feel it. I think uh, Isaiah Hodgins is going to feel it. And maybe we're, we're putting a little bit too much pressure on this kid from the jump. I mean, ever, ever since his name was announced, people have just been absolutely talking him up. I mean, Bills fans are excited. Bills brass are excited. Media have pretty universally lauded the pick. But we're in a situation now where I just think that if he comes in here and shows the kind of dynamic skill set that 
people are talking about him having. I mean, Greg Cosell was on One Bills Live today, and he was talking about Shakir. He said Shakir was one of the players that he had circled of all the positions. Like he goes through and he writes down a couple guys at each position that he likes. Shakir was one of them. He thinks he's going to be a dynamic playmaker in this Bills offense. If that's the case, I wonder if you're going to be in a situation where you need roster spots and Jameson Crowder going into his eighth season, he's had some availability issues. If he gets dinged up in camp or, you know, in a preseason game that, that could open up the door wide for Jameson Crowder. And I, I don't see a scenario where Isaiah McKenzie doesn't make this team. So I, I'm going to start there a little bit off the wall, but I, I think Jameson Crowder can be in for a little bit more of a uh, competition in camp than maybe he bargained for when he signed. I think that's a really interesting player to choose. Uh, the the one thing I will say that probably works in his favor is his uh, cap hit. I think it's like mm-hmm. one point two million, uh, so it's very very low. Uh, as long as he shows he's capable, I think it, it might be one of those end of the roster guys instead. But no, th- that's a great point, especially if Shakir comes in here and lives up to the hype that a lot of these draft analysts who have said, you know, if the Bills would have taken him on day two, I think I would have loved this pick, and instead they get him in the second round of day three. That being the fifth round, obviously. Uh, so tremendous value there. Great choice. I'm going to go with the running back. And I don't think it's the running back that a lot of the Bills Mafia is expecting. It's not going to be the running back that you and I have discussed a few times. I'm actually going to go with Duke Johnson. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Duke Johnson was brought in here to be the pass catching back. I know he didn't really do much of that last year in Miami. Uh, but that's what his specialty has been. And it was kind of like a, a backup option after they lost out on J.D. McKissick. Well, Lo and behold, in round two, the the Bills are able to get James Cook. James Cook is going to eat into playing time, in my opinion, or or his opportunities, because Cook's bread and butter is catching the ball, being that playmaker, being that guy that can be on the field on those uh, third downs, or, or, you know, even even if you just want to drop it off, he's a very dynamic back that can hurt teams uh, as a receiver as well as a rusher. So, you know, when it comes to Zach Moss, uh, Brandon Bean said something recently that really caught my attention. Uh, in a piece that Mike Silver wrote on Bailey Sports, he said, you know, I still have faith pretty much in Zach Moss. He was coming back from a serious ankle injury last year, and he couldn't cut. I want to say he said on his uh, to his left uh, that well. So he's ex- anticipating that Moss is going to be able to cut again the way he was before that injury. Probably be that short yard, uh, yardage guy that you can use and utilize in this offense if he shows that whatsoever. So of those backs that we've been talking, about, I think it's actually Duke Johnson that uh, potentially could be on the outside looking in. What do you think, Matt? No, I think that's a really uh, astute observation. And you know, I, when we were going over this list before the show, I, I mentioned Zach Moss was one of mine, but in in a little bit of a different way. Listen, when Duke, when the Bills signed Duke, I, I guess why I didn't even consider Duke Johnson is because I didn't really consider his lock his roster spot locked when he signed anyway. I thought it was going to be a situation where he had to come in and really impress them and earn it. Uh, he's had some good stretches in his career. He's really reliable. And I think he's the kind of guy you come in here. He does all the right things. He, they could probably put him on their practice squad with no problem and, and just kind of let, let it, let it play out from that perspective. I, I said, Zach Moss more so from not a long-term like damning him in the bills situ- in his whole situation with the bills long-term just more so with taking a little steam out of the comeback here. Like you've seen, if you've paid attention to the off season stuff, followed him on social media, he was appearing in some of those off season videos down in Florida with Gabriel or with uh, yeah, Gabriel Davis. I think he was working out with him or, or maybe Isaiah McKenzie. One of those videos I saw him in there. He looks like he's got his head down. He's working. And I thought he could come in here and work, work his way back in a, some type of role. The problem for him right from the jump is 
James Cook, I think, is going to take over that number two running back role. Listen, they're not going to lean on him as a runner early on, but I'm not, by any stretch of the imagination, ruling out the possibility of James Cook becoming RB one at some point during the season, and that everybody's talking about it right now. Like you know, oh, we're gonna you know, they're gonna lean on him in the pass game. He's gonna be the predominant pass catcher on the backfield. I was watching some of his highlight reels. The guy can run the ball. I mean, you put the ball in his hands. He's he's pretty electric, and I think he has a skill set that you know if he just kind of whoever meshes with this offensive line and Aaron Cromer from the start, they're gonna end up getting the bulk of the carries at some point over the seat over the course of the season. I think James Cook is going to get every opportunity to get playing time. And I, and I think that puts Zach Moss a peg down. Now I will say this. We've been talking a lot over the last couple of weeks about the succession plan of Devin Singletary. If they're not able to resign him, if he prices himself out with his production this year, everything Zach Moss does from the moment he shows up, which I think he's already there. And actually that's where I saw him in a video doing the uh, off season program uh, stuff uh, in Buffalo. Everything he does from this point, until the end of the season is going to tell the bills if he should be in the mix to be RB one, or at least in the competition for RB one in 2023, if they do decide to move on from Devin Singletary, because listen, talking about a a roster where Josh Allen's salary just gets more and more expensive as you go along here, keeping a guy that is very cost effective, a third round running back in his fourth season, which would be 2023 for Zach Moss. That's a good spot to be in. So you got to keep his confidence level high. You got to hope you see enough from him this year. But I think just going into training camp, this is kind of a a little bit of a blow to Zach Moss, even though I think everybody in that room probably knew they were adding to the room at some point. Uh, And, you know, maybe they could have gone Brees Hall in the first round and really blown things up. But I still think this is enough for me to put Moss in that category. No, and that's fair. And, you know, you're right. I think the Bills kind of played their hand a little bit when they tried to get McKissick and, uh, they had agreed to terms on a deal, but then he had backed out. I think that was a major indicator around the league that hey, the Bills are looking for a certain kind of back at least, uh, and they're not you're not they're not settled on the room as it currently is. You know, the the, the last big loser, Matt, we both agreed upon on our list would be Dane Jackson. Uh, I, I still think that Dane Jackson is going to have a big role on this defense. I think he could be the starting cornerback, you know, early in the year, depending on where Trey White is in terms of his health coming back from his very serious injury. But anytime that you take a cornerback in in round one, uh, there, there's a lot of incentive. As long as it's a neck and neck in the competition, you're going to give that uh, that job to your first round cornerback, and you're going to have him starting opposite Tre'Davious White when White's back, and all of a sudden Dane Jackson. He gets knocked down a peg. He's kind of the reserve guy now. He's that guy waiting in the wings if there's an injury. And Jackson, to his credit, when he's been put on the field, whether it was his first year, whether it was last year, he's looked the part. He he hasn't been perfect. He, he's let some guys get by him. But there's been more good than bad. So I think mm-hmm. maybe going into this draft, he thought, you know, there might be a chance that the Bills go a different route in round one add some competition on day two of the draft. But if you add a cornerback, even if it's round two or round three, those players aren't locks to start, in my opinion, even if they're neck and neck with uh, Dane Jackson at training camp and in the in the preseason, they might go with experience. But when, when it's a round one corner, if all things considered are close, you're always going to go with that first round pick, in my opinion. What do you think? Dane Jackson can win the, the battle in the preseason and training camp and Kyrie Elam still starting over him. If Tredavious white's healthy, like, let's be honest. I mean, that's Mm -hmm. just the way it's going to go. I get it. 
what Brandon Bean, he's never to come out and say that. And this is a situation where, you know, everything is earned. I get, I get all that. But when you, when you spend this kind of resource on somebody, I mean, if Von Miller's outplayed in, tra- in preseason, depending on how much he plays or training camp, even by uh, Boogie AJ and, you know, Greg Rousseau and Shaq Lawson and Mike Love and whoever else you want to throw in the mix. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean he's not going into the season and starting. And, and now I know Bob Miller and Kyrie Elam, two completely different players and stories. But my point is the resources spent to acquire those players puts them in a spot where they're going to be on the field. And so I think it comes down to, man, how ready is Tredavious White going to be? Because I think that the, the timeline is, is probably going to line up where they're really confident that he can get back by week one. But do you want him to be in a situation where he has to be there week one and has to play from the start? Or do you want to kind of get him back into things slowly and ramp it up slowly? Maybe, maybe a timeshare. Maybe we saw that with Levi Wallace and, and Josh Norman work pretty good a couple of years ago. Maybe they do something where they say, all right, Tredavious White, you're ready to go week one. You're, you're Trey White. You're always working. You're, you're every pitcher that we've seen of Kyrie Elam, Tredavious White has been in the background waving and smiling. Okay. So he's, he's almost ready to go as it is. Uh, I'm sure they let it. He'd probably try to play if they let him. It's just how he's wired. But I think you get him in a situation where you say, all right, give us 30 snaps a game for the first month of the season. Let's work, work you, uh, Kyrie Elam and see how he does. We'll have Dane Jackson to throw out and say, listen, we'll just kind of roll it that way and, and, and not have to put too much pressure on white from the jump. Yeah, no, I love that. And, and, you know, a week and a day uh, from today, Matt, we're also going to have the 2022 NFL schedule release and the Mm. way that they, the way that they unleash Trey white could be based on where I know it, how they unleash Trey white could be based on where that buy is in the schedule how the schedule set up. If the bills have a short week early in the season, you don't want Trey white out there 80 some percent of the snaps and then coming back on a short week playing significant reps. Again, there, there's little caveats like that, that you also have to think about also have to consider. Uh, so how they ramp him up, how they bring him along is really going to be interesting. Even if they're confident uh, that he could be close to hundred percent at the start of the season. I do see in the chat here, some of the biggest loser was uh, Matt Hawk. You know, listen, I, I said if, if you draft someone with a pulse, bef- you know, before the, the draft started, I think Jeez, his, his, his job, listen, uh, poor guy, the guy was punting, you know, 10 yarders, 15 yarders at times last year. He holds the ball a little bit extra, you know, long. The only thing that saved him last year, in my opinion, was the fact that in season, it was hard to find someone that you could trust to hold for Tyler Bass. The Bills now have from May until the start of the season. For the punt guy to show that he can hold that ball, he can do those responsibilities. And even if he uh, doesn't have ideal hang time, he has a much better leg. Uh, I think that he's, a you know, obviously a draft pick, albeit day three. I think you're much more likely to carry him on this roster. So, yes, Matt Hawk certainly in danger. To your point, I, I joked about Matt Hawk. He's not making this roster. I, I don't care how good he holds it. I don't care if he serves Tyler Bass. Uh, a five course, five star dinner with his extra points every single time. He's not making this roster. I don't care how comfortable he makes Tyler Bass. You need a guy in the wind in Buffalo. We saw it last year that can get you out of trouble. And listen, I know hang time might be an issue, but sometimes like in, in those really like weather impacted games, hang time can get you, you know, trouble as well. Uh, but I, but I do agree. I think I think Matt Hawk was probably a loser going into the draft because I think everybody knew the Bills were going to prioritize punter, whether it be 
in the draft or after the draft. Uh, Brandon Bean even talked about a lot of UDFA options that could have been really interesting. All right, uh, other losers that we talked about here. Uh, I, I, see, I feel kind of bad saying that. Like, what a loser. Well, yeah. <laughs> well real quick, I do <laughs> want to address a question in the chat, Matt. Uh, why can't Matt Barkley hold it? It, it kind of comes down to how the Bills and pretty much every team now in the NFL hold practices. You have these units having uh, drills going on all at the same time on these fields. And Matt Barkley, even if he is going to be quarterback three on this team, obviously, won't be active. Alan, right. Uh, he won't be active, first of all. But even in those practices, he's going to be taking quarterback reps with those uh, scout team guys, with those back end guys. He's going to be throwing the ball. You can't have him over at the special teams part of those practices holding the ball. Uh, there, there's just little things like that. And then, it, like Matt mentioned, too, if he's not going to be active uh, because Case Keenum is your backup in, in this scenario, it doesn't really make much sense to depend on him to be your holder either. Shout, a Buffalo football podcast hosted by Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot. What's up, everybody? Matt Perino here. One half of the Shout Buffalo Bills football podcast here today to talk to you about Prize Picks, America's number one fantasy sports app with more than 5 million members. It is the most fun and exciting way to get in on the action while you watch your favorite sports and players. You just pick more or less on two or more player stats for a shot to win up to 100 times your cash. Testing your skills on prize picks this playoff basketball season is the most simple way to get in on the action. You just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projected stats, and submit your lineup. Quick withdrawals, easy gameplay, and an enormous selection of players and stat types are what makes prize picks the number one fantasy sports app. Download the app today and use code SHOUT, S-H-O-U-T, for a first deposit match up to $100. Again. Download the app today and use code SHOUT, S-H-O-U-T, for a first deposit match up to $100. Pick more. Pick less. It's that easy. I got one more loser. Uh, sorry, I don't think you're a loser. I actually think you're a fun guy. But um, last week was tough for uh, swing tackle Tommy Doyle. First, they go out and they sign David Questenberry, who started every game for the Titans last year. He's going to come in here with loads of experience and he's my put it in pen swing tackle for the bills coming Ooh. out. I think that they, I think that they really did not like the position they found themselves in last year, even though Daryl Williams can move inside and outside where they didn't have that tie in Secchi type of guy that they can depend on if somebody goes down a tackle, especially when Deion Dawkins missed time. So I think Questenberry comes in and you know, every single time he's going to be out there, he is going, if you need him to play, he's going to, he's going to be at a, an average to above average level. The other piece that makes it really interesting is the bills go out and draft Luke Tenuta from Virginia tech he was talked up loads by um, uh, who's down there now. The Tierlink, Bill Tierlink, the former mm -hmm. defensive line coach, is now at Virginia Tech. He was raving about this kid to Brandon Bean. So now Tommy Doyle was a fifth round pick last year at six eight. This this uh, you know off the charts. You mentioned uh, Raz score. Uh, this kid comes in and he's he's in the same ballpark. And so now you have another rookie that you're going to have to compete against with you have Questenberry who's going to come in here and probably 
be the odds on favorite to win the job anyway. I think Doyle's in a spot where it's like, man, I just was f- finally feel- feeling like I was gaining some momentum towards the end of last season. And now it's like, and it's always going to be this like this for day three picks. I mean, Levi Wallace was spending off, uh, you know, folks, yeah. his entire career here. But it's just a situation where, you know, Doyle was sitting pretty two weeks ago and it's a much different spot he sits in today. Right. Yeah. If I needed a guy to pound beers at a Sabres game, Tommy Doyle, top of my list. Saw him chug <laughs> about four of them last week, uh, making a great first impression on Kyrie Element, the game that he was at. But you're right. Questenberry brings experience. Uh, that's something that the Bills covet that they value. Uh, it's why this regime had Ty Seki on their roster for so long. Uh, despite you know his better days being behind him, the experience was always there. If you needed someone to get on the field, you could trust him. Doyle, when when you needed the extra lineman out there, there were things that he did that he did okay. But did you want him out there if Deion Dawkins went down, or or you know in this you know in the case of this year, Spencer Brown goes down? You probably don't want that guy out there. There's not enough film on him to show that he's been capable of handling that responsibility. So you're right. Uh, he is definitely someone that is on that roster bubble. Another great question here in the chat, Matt. Uh, do you think that the Bills would bring in another quarterback challenge case Keenum? No, I think Keenum is among, you know, this is not a Trubisky where I think Trubisky you could talk about as a top two, top three backup quarterback in the NFL last year. Case Keenum's still a top 10 backup uh, quarterback. I don't know who you would bring in to really challenge him for that job. They sent a, uh, albeit a very late draft pick for him. Uh, I just think that Keenum is 100% safe in that backup role. Interesting enough, Ryan, I I started looking at, um, you you did a great job, by the way. Shout out to Ryan Talbot. Uh, Go over to the website. about six or seven headlines down, you can find the UDFA tracker. I think it still might be pinned on his Twitter account. There, it, it lists all the guys that the Bills uh, signed as unrestricted free or um, uh, undrafted undrafted free agents. Uh, Syracuse defensive lineman Kingsley Jonathan uh, in there. Shout out to uh, the Cuse alum. Some interesting names in here. In the research that you did, because obviously you were paying really close yeah. attention to this, talking to agents, so on and so forth. Who was the guy that really, you know, outside of Wademeyer, that really stood out mm-hmm. to you that the Bills were able to sign? I'm going to give you two, actually. Uh, I'm going to give you Alec Anderson. He was a UCLA offensive lineman. Uh, his uncle is Buffalo's assistant special teams coordinator, Corey Harkey. Mm-hmm. And this was a player that was projected to be a undrafted, but he was listed as a priority free agent on a, by a lot of these experts. And for any Bills fans listening or watching right now, if you're a priority free agent after the draft, that means that's a player that teams are going to want. So the, the Bills, may, you know, maybe they lucked into getting him because, hey, your uncle's here. He can kind of show you the ropes in Buffalo, help you around. Uh, he's a player that I really like. He, he brings experience to this unit. He started a lot of games. Uh, he's someone that I think could be uh, maybe not in the mix for a, a spot on this 53-man roster. Maybe you, you start him out on the practice squad. But I think he has the skill set to eventually be a contributor, a depth option on this offensive line. So he's one. And I'm going to go back to the running back well. Raheem Blackshear, Virginia Tech running back. Uh, very productive. Uh, probably regrets comparing himself to Debo Samuel a little bit before the draft. I, I wouldn't call him a Debo Samuel, but he can do a lot for an offense. He was very productive at Virginia Tech. And one thing that really stuck out to me is uh, he really talked a lot about a pre-draft meeting he had with Bill's running backs coach, Kelly Skipper. He said, you know, this guy really challenged me. He asked me a lot of really interesting questions. He showed me a lot of different formations. 
the fact that uh, when he went undrafted, the Bills were after this guy so hard tells me that he answered all those questions pretty well uh, in the opinion of Kelly Skipper to the, to the point where Skipper probably said, listen, he's a guy that I want to bring in as an undrafted free agent. Uh, is there a path for him to make this roster? Maybe not when you when you draft Cook. You already have Singletary. We talked about Moss and Johnson. But maybe this is that player that, you know, I, I was a big Antonio Williams fan. He's now with the, the uh, Giants. Maybe this, again, someone that you ha- you stash on your practice squad. If an injury occurs, you he's the guy that maybe you bring up. The talent is there. You can use him in a variety of ways. You could use him on special teams as well. So those are three guys, that, uh, and including Weidermeyer, obviously, that really stood out among those undrafted free agent signings, Matt. Yeah, I didn't watch. Obviously, I don't watch a lot of college football, uh, but I will talk a little bit about Jonathan. I think it's interesting the fact the Bills didn't add any defensive linemen in the draft. And there's no path to really the roster here for for Jonathan, but it's six foot two, 259 uh, pounds, 82 in in an eighth inch wingspan. I mean, the dude is really long. Uh, He is pretty athletic. He ran a two point or uh, 4.75 40 yard dash at the, at the combine. So this is a guy that you can get in here. You know, we've seen guys where over the years, the bills have really liked, I mean, uh, Mike, Mike love comes to mind as a guy that has just stuck around and stuck around before him was Eddie Yarbrough. Uh, If you could come in here and impress during this, three to four months of spring and summer camp, you can, you can kind of land on the practice squad and then, you know, kind of come along for the ride and try to develop. And so that's a guy that kind of stuck out to me uh, in terms of this list. I had a fun little exercise that I wanted to, Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Fun fact for the, for bills Ooh, fans. I out like there. fun facts. Maybe Kingsley, if he does not make this bills roster, he might be, maybe he'll be the next rock or Hulk Hogan or stone cold. Steve Austin. He was approached Matt pre-draft by a WWE talent recruit uh, recruiter. So if this football thing doesn't pan out for him here in, in Buffalo, or, you know, if he wants to keep trying it out, the WWE is actually interested in bringing him in as a pro wrestler. I just thought that was kind of neat. He has the Syracuse ties. He's already getting interest elsewhere. Uh, just something to kind of keep an eye on because a lot of those superstars in WWE were former football players, uh, you know, like Roman Reigns, etc. I like it. You know, if there's a wrestling WWE factoids, we know that uh, Ryan Talbot's dropping them. Um, so I had one little fun exercise we could do here before we get out. Uh, we got about 51 minutes. We got about five or six left. Give me one player that nobody's really talking much about that and this might be something that we got to talk through right on the program here and by the way jessica over on youtube says daryl williams is someone i would love back on the roster very interesting i brought this up on my on danger and Batagula. talked about jerry hughes at the top i mean if williams continues to stick out there uh and, and maybe he's he's sticking out there because he wants the money that you know he he left on the table with the bills when they cut him and, and it's not out there maybe he does tr- look to link back on and you know i don't necessarily know if there's a spot for him uh, I, I know he's versatile, but you know they just gave that money to Ryan Bates. I don't know if they're going to give somewhere in that same ballpark to another interior offensive line player, especially with how much. I almost feel like Saffold is the the, the Williams, and now and they went out and got Questenberry. So I don't I don't necessarily think there's a need, but listen, something definitely to keep an eye on. But back to this exercise, I want to I want to finish with: Is there a player Ryan on the roster right now that nobody is talking about that you think is going to have? a bigger impact on the 2022 season than I think anybody actually anticipates. And maybe we already talked about it. Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to temper it a little. I'm not going to say like a, a 
huge impact, but there is one player that I caught my eye last year, Matt, that I think has a shot to make the 53-man roster, contribute on special teams, and provide depth on defense if something were to occur. And I, I mentioned him on our last show, Josh Thomas. He was a safety, undrafted free agent, brought in last year. And, and honestly, going into my last 53-man roster projection, I went back and forth as to whether or not to add him on this roster. He was that impressive during the summer, that impressive during the preseason, made a lot of plays. And I know they have Jaquan Johnson. I know they have some depth guys behind uh, Poyer and, and Hyde, obviously. But I really liked what I saw from him. You gave him an entire year in this system because he was on the practice squad pretty much all year last year. Based on what I saw from him as an undrafted free agent, knowing, you know, maybe he had to put on some muscle mass, whatever the case may be, and knowing the ins and outs of this defense now, I like his chances of making this roster and making an impact, a much bigger impact at least than what he had done one year ago. What about you? Yeah, I really like that name. I I think he's got an upwards climb. And to your point, uh, it's going to be tough. They love DeMar Hamlin. Jaquan Johnson is a staple on special teams. So he's going to have to, you know, kick it up a notch, which to your point, uh, maybe he's poised to do that. And and I think that's a, a great pick. My guy to watch that I, I don't think, especially after the draft ended, people are thinking about enough. And it kind of coincides with my Jamison Crowder take is Marquez Stevenson. And one of the big things I keep hearing from certain people uh, about what they want the Bills to do, I think Jeremy actually was talking about it on WGR. Shout out to him. We got to get him back on the show soon. Is, you know, going out and getting a guy that could stretch the field, that can you could count on to run a post pattern. I think that's what they drafted Marquez Stevenson to do. And I don't necessarily know if there's a path to a a, a real role where he's going to get five to 10 snaps as a receiver a game. I, I just don't know if there's enough with what they're going to do at the tight end position. You throw Shakir in there. If Crowder does make the team and McKenzie and Gabe Davis, and we know they like uh, Kumro as their you know number one blocking receiver, uh, and then obviously Diggs, it's going to be a tough to not only make this 53, but then make an impact. And no, I know, John, Stevenson hasn't done nothing to earn anything yet, but that's my point. I I think that he's going to have a chance to take everything that he did from from year one. He was in the Isaiah Hodgins category of just not being able to do things all of training camp and early on in the season when he was on the pup list. He, He had half of a rookie season. Let's be honest. I mean, most of the time I saw him out at practice, he was walking around on the side doing work with the strength and conditioning team. So I just want to put him on people's radar. I don't necessarily think... You know, if you really push me on it, I I probably wouldn't be able to find a spot for him, even on the 53-man roster doing it right now today. But if you're looking for, you know, potential like stock rising opportunities, I think Stevenson could could go out in the preseason and put a couple plays on on tape like uh, of the Christian Wade variety, whether it's against third stringers or not, and just absolutely blow up his stock within the building. Listen, I actually like that pick, and here's why. When we were talking about winners and losers, Matt, one of the biggest losers post-draft was the Bills' return game. Uh, They really didn't address that. They didn't really add someone that's going to handle those responsibilities, and Stevenson had his ups and downs last year. There's no denying that, Uh, and it might be a big ask to have him come in here and kind of turn things around in the return game, but that is a place where he could be an asset to this team. And, and the Bills have shown over the years that if they have someone that they feel can handle that job, they'll keep you on this roster. They'll they'll find an extra roster spot for you. It, you know, and, and it's not fair to compare him to uh, Andre Roberts, who 
uh, was obviously a, a high end return man at that, you know, when he was with the Bills and before he was with the Bills. But if he can prove himself this summer as a returner, that can get him his foot in the door where maybe you can give him a few gadget plays. Maybe you can run him on some routes on offense as well. Uh, so don't shut the door on him just yet. He, he obviously has to answer the bell this summer as a return man as well, uh, where he did leave a, a bit to be desired last year. And this is a dude that like four, four, five, forty time fine. Like that's not blowing anybody's doors off, right? I mean, you got to get in the four threes these days to really get people excited about what you can do with your long speed. But there, I think there's versatility to Stevenson's game that people are forgetting about. And this is a guy that ran a six, four, six second three cone. Uh, I think it was at his pro day. And that is literally in the hundredth percentile of receivers. It's one of the best three cone times ever ran by a receiver. So we're talking about elite, elite athleticism when this kid is healthy. And the fact that they haven't done anything significant at the receiver position on the outside tells me that, you know, maybe he falls into that Gabriel Davis pot. Like if they don't go out and get a receiver right now, Ryan and Marquez Stevenson really impresses them throughout the you know training camp and, and the preseason. Maybe he makes the roster over Jay Kumaro, and maybe he is wide receiver three on the outside that gets opportunities when Davis or uh, Diggs need to come off the field if one of them is banged up. I don't think it's crazy to think about, and he has the kind of athletic profile that I think you can get excited about. Now, maybe Shakir comes in, and I know a lot of people are talking about him as a slot option. Maybe he shows real chops on the outside, and that kind of quells any uh, mo- uh, momentum that you know Speedy could kind of come up with. But just something to think about. Like This is a fun one to talk about, I think. Fun question to I, talk about. I agree completely. And, you know, one more receiver mentioned, do you guys feel McKenzie gets cut? John Marlon, no. Uh, he's in that boat uh, of the Levi Wallace. You know, we've mentioned him a few times, obviously, with the Pittsburgh Steelers now. But uh, I just feel like every year that there's talk that maybe this is the year he doesn't make the roster or this is the year he loses the job. And he always answers the bell. He always shows his value to this team. Um, the fact that the Bills, you know, wanted to bring him back this offseason, he was one of the, one of the first free agent signings or re-signings that they had. He, he's a part of their plan. They, they like what he can do. They love what he brings to the locker room as well. And I know that's just a small part of it. But no, I do not see Isaiah McKenzie uh, being off this roster whatsoever. What about you, Matt? No, that's it. No, (laughs) he's not going to be off this roster. He means too much in the building and he's versatile. And I mentioned what potentially Marquez Stevenson can do. I still, I think I still think there's untapped potential to what McKenzie can do in this offense. So uh, that'll be something that uh, we definitely talk about over the summer. The, the wide receiver competition is going to be a fun one, maybe a little bit under the radar with how, how really competitive it's going to be past Diggs and Davis. I'm excited to see how that shapes up in the, in uh, training camp in the summer, obviously. Uh, I saw somebody in here asking about the cap situation. Uh, I think Sal Capaccio from WGR put out a tweet. Uh, yesterday I saw the bills after signing their rookie class are a little North of 5 million in cap space. So they're going to have to do some work to have some wiggle room, uh, even going into the season. And Maybe that ends up being a Jordan Poyer rest- new contract and restructure this year. You know, maybe take a little bit off the top and uh, of the base of this year. I mean, his base, let me look this up. I think his base is around $8 million this year, maybe $7 million. Let me see. His base salary this season is $5.6 million. So if they converted, let's say, maybe a little bit north of $4 million, I mean, that's that's considerable amount of, of money. Uh, and then you, you know, push some of that down the road, maybe add on a couple void years, get Poyer the, the guaranteed money that he wants. You're probably looking in the, in the neighborhood of 
25 to 30 million guaranteed over the life of maybe a three or four year contract. And maybe the number looks a little bit more intimidating than the contract ends up being. And that's where they land on a place where, all right, you make your first team all pro happy. And then meanwhile, give yourself some maneuverability here in 2022. Sure. And that's something that Brandon Bean does extremely well. You know, every team, when the contract comes out, it's not what it says, Uh, but he always has outs. He always has, those uh, a little bit of flexibility, things that you can do with those contracts. So, yeah, I think you uh, stated that pretty well with with the possibilities of what could happen with Jordan Poyer. Thank you so much, everybody, for all of your continued support. You made draft week the biggest week, uh, draft week of Shout podcast history. Uh, so many downloads, so many views, uh, the activity on YouTube amazing do us a favor like this video before you go subscribe to the channel as well uh we'll be off the rest of the week we're gonna get some shut eye actually ryan and i are going to another award ceremony this weekend in syracuse so that'd be fun maybe we'll do a little uh live video or something from there i don't know i I, we'll we'll, we'll be dressed up so we might as well do something with it i don't know what we'll do yet but look for that maybe on twitter and then um subscribe on all the audio platforms as well i know most of you guys in here watching live Get it during the live. You come in here, you, you participate with the comments. But if you ever got to leave early or you arrive late, you, it's easy to get the full edition of the podcast over on the audio platforms. Apple, Spotify are the big ones to cheer in Google as well. All right. For Ryan Talbot, I'm Matt Perino. Enjoy the rest of your week. Uh, downshift because we're going to upshift again next week. Bill's uh, rookie minicamp begins. Uh, it's going to be fun. A lot of fun players to look at. Take care, everybody. Shout, a Buffalo football podcast hosted by Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot.